guys. Welcome back to our podcast. This is our first episode of our newest series titled College Conversations. The focus of today is all about the basics, choosing your list, and a lot more. So sit back, relax, go on with your workout or your chores, whatever you're doing right now, and keep this podcast playing in the background so you can leave with some insight on the important college application process. Yeah, welcome back to our podcast. If you're in middle school, uh, a freshman, a sophomore, a junior, or even a senior, uh, college is probably at the forefront or at the back of your minds to some extent. As seniors in high school, we just finished the college process and have learned a lot from it. So we felt that we kind of wanted to give our advice and share some of our experiences because we really wanted to know or hear some of this information before. But treat this as like a kind of go-to series for you to get answers to any college questions. Although, of course, we cannot replace any tutors or experts uh, and things like that. So this is more of an introductory episode, as Anaga just mentioned. It's everything that comes before you actually Uh, apply to college and things like that. I would just like to say that, of course, we're not college experts or tutors, but we have gone through this experience and also encountered success throughout this process and feel that we can share some things. And we're not trying to emulate or replicate any expert or online resources. There are many resources online. This is just a personal take on it. And we feel like we can really tell you guys some things you guys can really take away and keep in mind. Um, So yeah, we want to try to make this series more reflective rather than informative because you can find a lot of information online and there's several resources, but sometimes we might give more definitional specific information to provide you guys with the facts of how things work. So here's the first icebreaker question. We're actually going to ask each other different ones. The first one is what is the most important thing you have learned from this whole year of college apps and applying and waiting for results? I think this is a very broad thing to start with, but just like the one takeaway for our listeners. I would say personally that the most important thing I've learned is that I have an ability to write creatively and also academically so write in a persuasive manner and creative manner but also informative and academic manner going into it I didn't really have that much experience with creative writing and also I had barely written about myself that is the one thing that I do not do in IB or in my school life so I was like wow this seems like it's going to be quite hard because you kind of have to paint yourself in a favorable light and so that was quite difficult but I did learn a lot about myself throughout that and I also learned how the college application process is very personal but the outcome can be very random and sometimes you cannot control the way things turn out so just kind of coming to terms with that. Those are very good takeaways yeah like I feel like both of us were kind of not very confident going into the application process about different things, such as like you mentioned, the essays. But once you get used to it, and once you start writing it, it's really a great Eureka moment when you realize, wow, I can actually do this, I can write in a way that I enjoy it, and I see good results. And the believing in yourself and only focusing on yourself and, you know, not in a selfish way, but worrying more personally, instead of thinking about what are my friends doing? What are my friends thinking? What is the rank of the school? What do my parents think? Focusing on yourself is a really good takeaway. That was a good one. Sounds kind of cheesy, like focus on yourself, but you'll find that as you're going through the process, you need to be doing that more. But now I'll ask you an icebreaker question. What was your biggest fear or source of concern going into college application season? Just like the apps and also waiting for decisions. 
I think the first one I think of right away is not getting into any college. I know some of our friends and our family members are always like, why are you so kind of self-deprecatory like that? But, you know, this is a it's a fear that we have. And I guess what I meant was not getting into any college that I truly liked is kind of what I meant. So that was definitely a fear. And another fear, I guess, this is not really a fear, but like a source of concern. My sister and I, we wanted to get into a university together or at least in the same region. It was important for us and our parents and everything to do that. And I had no idea how twins are considered at university. We didn't have any older twins to talk to. So that was also a source of concern. And that definitely shaped how we applied because we wanted to maximize our chances of getting in together. Definitely, because like these, some of these colleges are very competitive. And my sister and I, it's very clear to us that we are very similar candidates. So the chance of both of us getting accepted into some of these universities seemed quite unlikely. So that is why we applied to quite a few universities in different locations to try maximizing our chance of ending somewhere together near each other, region, location, country at the minimum. Okay, so before we get started, some of the things we'll be talking about in this episode include the college timeline and the and college lists. But just as some starters, sometimes some people kind of like message me younger friends and they're like, hi, Priyasha, how do I apply to college? What do I do? And that's such a broad question. But trust me, one year ago, like I was the same. I guess one answer I'll give just so that we can build on it later are the list of things that you would need overall. Anaga, what are these things? So at the core of it, what you essentially need to apply to college is firstly, you will need to give your personal information. So your family background, your the language you speak, the schools you've attended, your grades, your extracurriculars, your test scores, whether they be SAT or AP or IB, according to the school you're applying for, essays. So multiple essays or one essay, supplemental essays, depending on the college. Sometimes colleges ask you for your resume or additional supplements or portfolios based on what you're applying for. So yeah, that's basically the gist of it. Keep these things in mind. There are different components. Is when is the best time to start the college process? What would you say? So this is a very broad question. And again, I feel like a lot of questions people ask during this process is broad. So we're gonna break it up into three sections. The first is the thinking and researching stage. The second is the preparation stage, like preparing your grades and your extracurriculars. And the third is actually applying. So I can talk about the thinking and researching stage. So the thinking and researching about college, it can start literally anytime. There's no one right time, but typically I've seen it starts towards the end of middle school and early high school onwards. But I will say that researching and thinking, it never stops. Literally, you can be in December of your senior year and be researching a whole new college that you didn't think of before. So don't pressure yourself to have a full list down until your senior year, I would say. For you and I, we really started to just seriously think about it in junior year. And I would say that's because we're present thinkers and we were actually quite anxious at the thought of college. And, you know, of course, we were also drowning in IB work, but it's not like it disadvantaged us in any way. I would also just add, lastly, that if you have older friends or siblings who talk a lot about college around you, it may prompt you to start thinking about it early. Everybody starts differently. I wouldn't say it's a problem if you start later or earlier than others. But what would you say to someone who feels pressured about not having a dream school because I have had some people tell me being like oh I really don't have one should I have one like what would you say to that person 
to somebody who's feeling anxious and everybody around them seems to know where they want to go to college and they don't do not feel anxious especially if it's like earlier on in the process i did not have a dream school until the end of my sophomore year and then there are people around me in incoming high school late middle school who already know exactly what they want to do have an idea of where they want to go don't feel pressured but also don't be like reluctant to the idea of exploring your options yeah that's really good advice do you want to take us to the next aspect of determining the college timeline and process the next part is the gathering of what you need like the hard facts and the objective information so this includes the numbers your grades your test scores anything like that. So there is no right timeline for this, especially if you want multiple attempts at, for example, taking standardized test scores. But typically, so I'll give our um, applying year as an example, we are the batch of 2021, which means we apply starting 2020. The earliest that colleges open up for your applying round is around October, November of the year that you're supposed to be applying to college. So before then, there aren't that many avenues for you to actually submit to college because the college application season hasn't started and most of your grades are also not solidified. For IB, we get our predicted grades in the October of your senior year, so only then can you apply to college and if you want to continue improving your SAT scores as well. Yeah, I would also add on that about the SAT, if you want to take it multiple times, because if you feel that kind of like us, you're not really a good test taker and it takes you a while to get a good score, I would say that I've typically seen people taking it for the first time at the end of their sophomore year, beginning of junior year, just so that there's enough time to take it once or twice more. And I would also advise to check on upcoming policies of your university, whether or not they're test optional. But I would say as a blanket statement, it's always good to have a score. We can't speak on previous years because this year was vastly different. When colleges stated this year that they're test optional or test blind, it was much more serious because many people physically could not take test scores. And we can guarantee you guys that when they said they're test optional, they did mean it because my sister and I were not able to take our SAT more than once. And we were really counting on taking it two or three times. Having it may help you, but not having it will not necessarily hurt you. I guess another thing I would also like to ask about in this section is you know how you said that the college portals only open around like fall, early fall of your year, but is there something related to the college we can start doing aside from researching earlier on, like maybe in the summer? Summer before your senior year, many times people have already finished their test taking. For example, you want to apply to a specific university, you can Google search their supplemental essays and start brainstorming them. Kind of like Anaga mentioned, a lot of these colleges release supplemental essay prompts over the summer. So I would really advise that if you guys are done with SATs or whatever and have some free time to start those because we both did. And would you say that it was helpful for us to start um, over the summer? It kind of was, but it wasn't like I was super productive. Like weirdly enough, when it comes to working on things that are for the future, I like to start it when it's nearer because I like to focus on the present. But it was a good time for us to kind of drain out the bad ideas, try all the options and ideas we had and be like, okay, this works, this doesn't, and outline your essay. Like, would you agree with that? I agree. So even if you don't come up with like full finalized products, researching about your college, writing the essays, and attending webinars. That's something we did a lot. Just try to attend those, especially if you guys haven't visited the university, you know, 
we haven't even been to the US before. So it was really important for us to do as much as possible about that. So now that we've talked about the researching, the gathering of test scores and starting essays, all of which kind of happen prior to and during the summer of your senior year, what does the process of actually applying look like? And by process, I mean the timeline right now. Okay, so when you're actually applying, um, you firstly need to have all your resources, like we mentioned before. And I think we forgot to mention this because it's not always required, but teacher recommendation letters, it's actually quite important. We needed it for all of our colleges. But so when you're actually applying, there are many things you need to take into account based on your context. So I know we, like I said, we forgot to mention teacher recommendation. There are also maybe other things you might need. You might need a copy of your passport, a financial aid form. Like, you know, it depends. And we are sorry if you like miss out on some of these things because everyone has very different context. Okay, so for the actual applying process, we will now go into kind of the general of how applying looks like because there are multiple rounds or multiple deadlines in the college application timeline for which you can submit your application. So here are some abbreviations. So there's early decision, early action, restricted early action, and regular decision. Do you want to just like break them down quickly? I'll start with the early ones because there are three that actually have to do with early. So typically in the U.S., early applications happen in November is a non-binding policy where you can apply to any university early, public, private, there's no limit. And it kind of signals an early interest to the university. And also you will hear back sooner. So if you're an anxious person like we are, I recommend applying a lot uh, early and it also helps balance out your workload. Second is restricted early action. Some top schools that have this include Yale and Harvard. If you apply restricted early action to a private university, you cannot apply to any other private university early. So we'll delve into more about how we shaped our application around the REA in our next episode, but I want to keep this part brief because all of this is Googleable. Is that even a word? You can Google all of this, but do you want to talk about ED and RD? Early decision, yeah. Early decision is the binding one. So early decision is when you apply in either those early dates, so October, November, sometimes even December. And if you get accepted to the college, it is legally binding. You must commit to that college and withdraw all your other applications or not apply anywhere else. Lastly, regular decision is the most common. That is where the applicant pool is the greatest. The regular decision deadlines are usually January, February. So for example, we are graduating in 2021. So our regular decision deadline was January of 2021. and these decisions are not binding. You don't have to attend the college if you get in, but it's another deadline for you. So why do they have these deadlines? In my opinion, it's so that you can spread out your work. It's a good way to balance your workload, you know, get some college applications done early, especially if you feel like you have all the test scores you need. Because if you apply to a college early, that shows the college that you put in the time, you're signaling interest, and you want to get in early basically yeah and some of you guys might ask like how do you decide when to apply so kind of like you said you want to balance out your workload but I think the first thing you want to decide is if you want to commit to ED or not because that's a big commitment so do you have a dream school that you will for sure attend and you can for sure attend if you get in you know despite any financial concerns like is everything met if you get in will you be able to attend if the answer to that is yes by all means, you can do ED. For Anaga and I, we did not like the thought of putting all our eggs in one basket. And the idea of committing seemed kind of scary, 
especially because we didn't have a dream school that had ED. So that's another thing. Not all of your schools will have ED. Not all of your schools will have REA or EA. I guess it really depends on your guys' interest, how prepared you are, uh, you know, how you want to balance out your workload, because there is definitely a lot of strategizing. And Anaga, do you also want to talk about what might happen between the early and regular round that they would need to kind of leave wiggle room for? Sure. So as a blanket statement, I would say that everybody should try to apply somewhere early. It takes some pressure off and balance your workload. But between early and regular decision deadlines, there are some other colleges in between November to December that have solid deadlines. For example, the UC schools, the University of California schools or schools in the United Kingdom or even other countries in Asia, I know, they have timelines and deadlines between them. So wherever you're applying, make sure you know their policy. Do they have multiple deadlines? Because sometimes they don't. These U.S. schools do, but sometimes other schools don't. Like the University of California public schools only have one hard solid deadline, which is November 30. Yeah, we'll talk more about this later, but my sister and I, we did REA and EA Then we did RD, but between that, we applied to the UC schools and UK. So November to January was jam-packed for us. So definitely be prepared if that's what you're going for. So talking about the colleges you just mentioned, how should you form your college list? So we did a poll on our Instagram and many of you guys said that you wanted to learn how to determine your college list and your fit, where you belong. As a starter, research and form a long list of around 15 to 20 schools. That is the first thing you need to do. But what should you look at when it comes to determining these 15 to 20 schools? First, want to look into any school policies, at least in our school and some other schools, there are sometimes limitations on how many applications you can submit. So once you have that out of the way, for research purposes, for brainstorming purposes, you can brainstorm up to 20, 30 schools. So in order to do that, what should you consider? We can each talk about one factor each. So the first one I would say is location and possibly weather. I say location first because that is the broadest thing because, you know, country is the most macro level when you're choosing a university after country comes state, city, etc. But country is very important. Like, do I want to apply to one country, two or three? Because you want to figure out what you're interested in. Do you want to stay close to home? Do you want to apply farther from home? Another reason why I'm saying you need to figure out the location early is because each country has a different process altogether. So you want to be prepared Uh, to figure that out. Definitely. The next one is grade requirements. So you want to look into how and what type of grades these countries or colleges. For example, the United Kingdom wants your predicted scores for IB. Um, The US wants your whole GPA transcript from grade nine. So look into what grades these countries offer and if they want grades, what type of grades, when do they want it, how should you send it to them. So that is grade requirements. The next thing I would say is look into the majors and the programs offered in those universities when you're making your list. So I'm talking right now about if you already know what major you want to do. So for my sister and I, we were kind of specific in that we wanted an interdisciplinary major that combined politics, economics, and possibly philosophy to some extent. So universities that did not have anything that was a combination major, we were able to remove that. Universities that had similar majors like philosophy, politics, economics, PPE, 
our political economy, our public policy, our international relations, we gave those a shot. But if you don't know what major you wanna do, look into the course offerings of different universities and see what interests you the most. And another thing I would just say, aside from major, is there are many, many US universities, I think probably all of them, but I'm not very sure, that have a core curriculum or some kind of standard course requirements. They're sometimes called general education modules that you have to take in your first two years. And these can vary across universities. So you can even take time to look into that, like which university's core curriculum speaks to you the most. Agreed. So the next one, is the university liberal arts or a research institution? Now, not all of these factors we are saying you need to consider exactly and know exactly what you want, but it's important to know the difference. Liberal arts colleges are usually much smaller than research institutions, and they focus more on like interdisciplinary education, maybe more focused on arts and humanities, and actually learning breadth and depth of knowledge. But research institution is more focused on actually publishing innovative um, pioneering information, the college is usually bigger. And so a lot of other things are very different when you actually look into the other factors of the school. Along with this, there's also, is a university private or public? This is a big thing to look at when it comes to costs and also the quota system. Some public schools have quotas that they have to meet for in-state students. Usually public schools are also larger, so they have larger class sizes. This is definitely something my sister and I had to go through. I would also just like to add on that when you're thinking about liberal arts versus research or private versus public, think about if close student to teacher relationships are important to you because liberal arts and private universities, since they tend to be smaller, will have more of those kind of seminar style, small classes where the teacher is very much present and it's very much kind of discussion heavy, whereas lecture classes are much more common, I would say, in public and research universities where the volume of students is just a lot. So discussion classes may be a bit more rare. So for my sister and I, we'll, we'll talk more about ourselves personally in next episodes, but it was very important for us to have a highly engaged learning atmosphere. So, you know, we did apply to some public universities. We tried to apply to the colleges or the honors colleges that had a, that would make a larger community smaller. But we'll talk more about that later. What else would you say is important when considering your college list? So if we were to give any more advice, we would just say research like the extracurriculars, the campus life, the social life, the amount of diversity, the number of international students, talk to your counselor, peers, family, watch YouTube videos to try and get to know a college. And if you like it even a little bit, just put it down in your list, at least very early on so that you can come back to it later when you have more of an idea of where you want to go and you have more of an idea of how your grades look like. So talking about this and adding on, once you have a list of colleges, you need to categorize them based on, is this a safety school? So is it easy to get into? Is it a target school? So it's kind of in the middle, you could get in, or is it a reach school that is very difficult to get into? So with this, we will now be moving on to the second part of our podcast, which is about how to determine if you will get into your college. So how to sort safety target reach colleges. Before I start this, I just wanna say there's no kind of set 
number like oh i should do two safeties two targets two reaches like there's no set number like that what i see is people tend to apply to more reach schools but the only thing i would say with that is as long as you have like one or two safeties that you know you can get into and you know you'll be happy to attend you can be as risky as you want i guess would you agree i would agree but like what would you say are some indicators on how to determine if a college is a safety target or reach for you The first thing I would say is obviously statistics. So look at the GPA, SAT scores or predicted scores that are typically more uh, released in the UK websites. But look at these numbers for past admitted students. So it's pretty easy. You can just Google it. For SAT scores, there's like a 25th percentile, a 50th percentile, 75th percentile. You can even sort your target safety reach based on in which percentile you fall for an SAT score required for a school. And I would say for the UK, especially looking at predicted scores is very helpful because in each major, they have a website where it says what the standard minimum entry requirement is, meaning if you fit that, you can apply. So typically these tend to be around anywhere from 32 to 40. And looking at that will give you a very good indicator of if you have a chance of getting in or not. But sadly, the U.S. schools, since they uh, prioritize holistic admissions, they don't really release these information. But you can always find them uh, through any type of Google search or Reddit sources, I guess. But if you're talking specifically about numbers, it was a bit hard for us this year during applying because many schools said that SAT is not required. So for example, we would look at the SAT score of past students, but we didn't have a score. So we couldn't really tell, would we get in, would we not? So it was very hard to predict. Past statistics were not very helpful, not very accurate in determining the outcome. But that that was just for this year. It's always still good to have an idea of what the college vibe is like of the incoming class, whether it be through SAT scores, predicted grades, GPA, whatever is available and required. So the next one, and this one is probably the most no-brainer, easy thing that everyone does of how to determine if a school is easy or hard to get into, bluntly speaking, is looking at the acceptance rates of colleges. And they they differ, but if you Google search it, you'll probably find quite an accurate indicator. But there are some reasons why they're not always accurate because they're not always updated. They might differ or depend on the program of study you're applying for. And is there any other reason why acceptance rates may not be the best indicator? I wanted to just hit on what you said about not always being updated, especially with the COVID pandemic and the test optional policy, the volume of applicants have increased dramatically. So with that, acceptance rates won't always parallel that and increase as well. So sometimes it will go down and they don't always update it right away. But another thing I would say, which was very important for us as international students to be aware of, is that acceptance rate on Google sometimes tends to be higher than it would be for international students because international students there are all sorts of things that kind of can come with you being an international student so if you look at an acceptance rate as an international student typically it you could assume that it'll be a little bit lower for internationals and i've kind of heard this from different college uh, prep blogs and things like that i'm not sure how true it is but i think this comes down to the quota and how especially public universities have kind of this in-state student limit that they have to meet first. Agreed. So it's very important to look at it based on context because 
the acceptance rate is a number, but it actually conceals a lot more than it reveals. It's definitely not the full picture. But for example, you know, if a college has a less than 10% acceptance rate, you should definitely put that into a reach school. Like, don't even think twice about it. Even if you meet the grade requirements, it's still a reach school because there's so many factors and random things associated with acceptances. That is very important. So I'll move on to the next one. This one is a little bit more abstract, but it has to do with the concept of fit. So if a university is very prestigious, it'll be very difficult for anyone to get in. But if you really fit the vibe a lot, like you fit the values that the school is looking for and things like that, you could boost your chances a little bit. So I'm specifically talking about the small liberal arts universities in the US that are very, very um, competitive. So like Pomona and the Claremont systems in the West Coast and Williams and Amherst in the East, those schools are very hard to get into, but they have a very specific characteristic that is hard to find in a big public school like U Michigan or UC Berkeley. So if you really match the characteristic and the vibe required of a liberal arts school, that could be favorable to you. I'm not saying change it from a reach to like a target or safety, but I guess if you're really a good fit for a university in your mind, it, you can kind of feel that you do have a chance. Does, did that make any sense? It did make sense, but don't think of it too seriously because if you really want to go to a large public university, for example, University of Virginia, you might not exactly know why you fit in there because the university is so big. There's so many great opportunities and resources. It's maybe not as niche as other smaller schools who are more characterized by one value or trait or you know, it's easier for smaller schools, but still apply. Go ahead and apply if you like the way the college sounds and you like the essays you have to answer, you have everything you need, definitely go ahead and apply. So the last thing is consider your context. So this is very important. You have to really consider this if you fit into this context. So legacy quite a touchy subject sometimes, but if you have legacy to a school, sometimes that gives you a boost in the college application process. Regardless of the school, it might give you a boost, but check in on the policy. Sometimes schools don't recognize legacy. Some schools recognize it more than others. The next one I would say to be aware of is your financial need. So have this conversation with your parents because you do want to have a transparent and open understanding of this before you go into university. And the reason why sadly financial aid can affect reach target safety for international students is because a lot of US universities are need aware. So the famous need blind ones are I think Yale, Princeton and Amherst College to name a few, but most of the other ones are typically need aware. I don't know much about this because we are grateful enough that we were not in a position to need aid, but people typically say that if you are requesting for financial aid as a student and you're applying to a university that's need aware, you are at a disadvantage. But I really believe that you should focus on the factors that you can control. So focus on making your application amazing. You can even maybe try to request for scholarships and things like that if the university has it. So just be aware of the position you're in but worry about controlling what you can control. Don't get bogged down by the fact that you couldn't apply to XYZ University because they're need aware and you need aid. Just 
worry about what you can control. Talking about what you can control, I would just like to talk a little bit about this application season because it was so different from other application seasons. Firstly, nobody knew how it would look like if you're even coming back into campus. Test scores were canceled, so you can say that the um, admission process became a little more subjective because there were less numbers and clear statistics to like eliminate students, if you want to say it like that. The applicant pool doubled or tripled, and that means the number of applicants deferred or put on the wait list increased. And the randomness also went up, in my opinion, because like we were saying, before we could rely on these graphs and statistics to get an indicator of will I get in, but this year it could go anyway. Yeah, and I think it's important, however, to see the pros and cons of that. Obviously, a con would be that you may not have a solid test score to show your skills to a university. But another way of looking at it is with holistic admissions, students get more of a chance, you know, because oftentimes if a student did not fit the 25th percentile of a school or a university for the SAT, they would just never apply. But this year, it's opening doors for those people who aren't good test performers, number one. Number two, could not take their SAT more than once. Number three, just in general, couldn't take SAT because of their financial or the accessibility in their community. Because there are a lot of people who, even before COVID, they couldn't access the SAT resources. So this opened up many, many doors for those people. And I guess the bad side of that is more competition. But the good side is more people can really push for achieving their dreams. As you said, on the one hand, people might think that, oh, they don't, the colleges don't require SAT scores, which means less pressure on me to actually take a test score. But on the other hand, the applicant pool increased so much. There's so much uncertainty. People weren't able to do like extracurriculars or even maybe perform as well as they can online. So since they don't require test scores, that means your GPA, your extracurriculars, your essays have to be that much better and stand out because you can't stand out with a test score anymore you have to stand out in these more subjective and personal way and you know so it's good and bad in different angles because the colleges won't necessarily accept more people just because more people applied like that is a no-no exactly and another I guess good side is a lot of us seniors had online school for senior year so with online school came less time wasted on commuting, let's say, and after school activities. And probably also the curriculum was kind of cut down, like the IB cut down some parts of the curriculum. So we had a lot more time, I guess you could say, to apply to universities and really do our best with all of them. So for our exit ticket, I think I'll just ask you, what is your overall perception and reflection of our college application timeline? Like, when, where, and how we applied and got our list? Good question. I think we can both take turns on this. But the first thing that I immediately think of is, I'm glad we did not apply ED anywhere. I don't know why I'm saying that, but it's because I didn't really have a school that I would want to apply ED to and 100% attend if I got in, if that makes sense. I'm glad that we chose to apply restricted early action, however, because that was a kind of topic of conversation a lot for our family. Like, you know, do we apply REA to one private school or EA to numerous private schools? Because private a private university is what we wanted. And by choosing to apply REA, we would have to leave aside all the other private universities till later. But I am, again, glad we did that because we applied REA to our most reached school. And I think that was the best way to go, to be honest. 
What would you say also? I also agree with that, but I would also add that So not doing ED meant that we could actually wait it out and hear back from all our colleges. And we were very fortunate to apply to quite a few colleges and given our context, like we mentioned, and also we were quite, did not have that much confidence at all in how the college application process would work. So that's why we also wanted to build up our list in that manner. And we have been hearing back from many colleges. So we kind of wanted to just like see all our options, put in the time to apply. And since we did put in the time to apply, actually give ourselves time to hear back from the colleges and make our decisions. Is there anything you would do differently about our timeline or our list if you were to do it again? The first thing that comes to mind is apply to fewer schools, but at the moment, honestly, guys, like trust your gut at the moment because these timeline and deadlines go by really fast. There's not that much room to budge, but it's like there was one time where I suddenly was like, oh, my God, the United States college application is so random. I can't count on anything. So we applied to the UK because they had more clear scores set out for us on how to actually get an offer. Then maybe we also considered like Singapore, then we considered the UC schools because you could apply to up to nine schools with one application. So just how that is, you know, it's different for everybody, but if you can handle it, just do it. Exactly. If you can handle it, you can do it. And my dad kind of was saying this, like it's a once in a lifetime process. You know, you don't want to have any regrets of, oh, I wish I applied to X school or Y school. But I think for us, it's, I also agree. I think we could have applied to one or two fewer schools. Uh, I, I liked how our list was quite balanced. It was reach heavy, but it was very balanced on the downside as well. But we could have applied to fewer schools. But the reason why we didn't is because, like we said, our confidence levels are pretty low. And we really wanted to just have as many options as possible to get in together as well. With that being said, we hope you guys actually learned a little bit from this. Most of this was introductory, but I feel like you and I did a good job in kind of just like delving into our main topics here and talking a little bit based on your situation and context and maybe the positives and negatives of, for example, looking at acceptance rates. We really hope that in the upcoming episodes, we can get a little more personal and talk about our actual applying and where we applied, where we got in and what didn't work and what worked because we are open with doing that. Exactly. Like in this episode, I feel like we, we were just giving a lot of information, but a lot of this information you could find online if you wanted. But I think what would be more helpful for our audience is if you guys heard specifically where we applied and how it worked for us and things like that, because then you can have a concrete example to look at. Um, And we also want to talk more about the non-logistical aspects in our next episode. So today we talked about like the timeline, the list. Uh, We will talk in our future episodes about the actual common app process and more about the essays because the essays were a big, big, big part of this. But we also want to talk more about the personal aspects that aren't always hit on, like how to handle the waiting process, because that is intense for the U.S., how to handle rejections, waitlists, deferrals how to approach social media and how to approach your friends during this time, how to deal with family pressures, all of that and more we will definitely get into in our next episodes. Yes, that those are all great. I'm excited for that. And we'll just try to organize it in the clearest way possible because this is a new series. And yeah, so thank you guys for 300 plays in our podcast. We hope to see you in our next episode.